Hey there, Cryptic Keepers. It's Addison here. And before our episode starts, I wanted to talk to you briefly about a new sponsor. Studio, S-U-D-I-O, is a company that wants to revolutionize the way people see headphones. Not just as a tech device, but also as an accessory. Currently, the headphones market can offer you one of two things, style or tech. Fashionable headphones often lack the proper sound quality, and the high-tech variations are bulky and not design-oriented. Studio works to bridge that gap. While emphasizing modern Scandinavian design, they also provide a product that matches the quality of even the highest-rated headphones on the market for a fraction of the cost. Alex and I were fortunate enough to receive some of their headphones to try, and we can tell you that these models worked amazingly. I tried out the Regent, which is the premium on-ear model with impeccable clarity in the instrumental tones as well as well-balanced sound. It has 24-plus hours of active battery life and 20 days of standby life. It's the perfect companion for you at home or on the go. It can connect to any device that has Bluetooth, but also has an auxiliary cord if you don't have the wireless option. This particular model is excellent for me because I am a voice actor from home and I need to be editing audio all the time. So this allows me to have a comfortable and convenient way to listen to what I'm doing and hear all the little details. Alex got to use the Tray, T-R-E, which is the newest model for those with an active lifestyle. It has nine plus hours of active battery life and 10 days of standby life. It's the perfect companion for you at home or on the go. It's made of sweat-proof material that has custom wing tips that stay comfortably in your ear no matter how fast you're moving. You'll never be caught off guard when wearing them as they provide sound transparency. You can listen to music but still be aware of your surroundings. That keeps you safe. The tray comes with a clip to keep the cord secure on your shirt if you're moving around a lot, and a carrying pouch so your headphones never get ruined in your bag again. And Studio is offering our listeners a 15% off discount if they use the code KEEPER15. That counts as 15% off of any purchase. So if you want to treat yourself this year to some quality headphones with a sleek, modern design, you can go to www.studiosweden.com. That's S-U-D-I-O-S-W-E-D-E-N.com and use the promo code KEEPER15. That's K-E-E-P-E-R-15. And now back to your regularly scheduled Cryptid Keeper programming. At the Cryptid Keeper podcast, we love to laugh at the darkness, but we would never laugh at the rich cultures that explore it, or the unique cultural significance of the creatures explored. The jokes within are on no one but us. We encourage additional research on the subjects covered here, and hope that a comedy podcast is not your primary source of information. podcast the podcast for cryptids and their keepers that's us and if you're listening it's you too so we're happy to have you on board your badge is in the mail it's not i've already made that joke i apologize (laughs) it was like 10 episodes ago so you probably forgot until i reminded you unless you're like binging these and listening to it real quick in which case that was really tacky and i apologize (laughs) um i'm alex flanagan and i'm addison peacock thank you for ambushing me with the intro yet again it's been a while it's been a while it's been like a hot minute Thank you for waiting until I was in the throes of laughter slash taking a sip of my coffee. It's your fault for recording me singing the Paco Bell Cannon. <laughs> That's going on the Patreon, apparently. Well, I was already recording and then the gold happened, so. You know, you can't keep it from the people. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. 
I don't, I, I don't know. I'm doing okay. Are you good? Wait, I've been around you for the last hour. You're in why a good are you, place? Why are you just asking now? Just check it in. Because it's about to get real. Oh. Um, yeah, I bring an interesting cryptid to the table this week. It's, oh. Uh, no, I guess just before we, like, dive right in, it's a strange one because, one, it is more, like, folklore and mythological than, like, strictly experience-based. There aren't, like, a lot of sightings, and you'll, you'll see why in a minute. Although there are, like, personal experiences that are passed down. Um, it's one that sounds inherently very silly when you try to talk about it, but there is kind of, like, a sense of tragedy and, like, very real suffering built into it, so I want to make sure that, like, we're striking the proper balance here of addressing it. And so the first thing I want you to do is to try not to laugh when you hear the name of this thing. Okay, I'm racked with dread right now. I need you to know that I am positively racked. Let's talk about the Irish hungry grass. (laughs) She's trying, folks. (laughs) <laughs> Maybe it would help if I use the Gaelic name. I'm sorry. The Fair Gartuck. Okay, there you go. Thank you. There I was is. just going to say, because Irish hunger grass sounds like a weird nickname for a strain of marijuana. It does, in fact, sound like a kind of cannabis. Yeah. Yes. yes. Um, you're not the first one to think that. I thought it many times while I was researching yeah, it last I, 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 I like the, the Gaelic name sounds, it has the heft it sounds like it deserves. Yeah, so the Fair Gartuck um, is the hunger grass or hungry grass mm-hmm. in Ireland, or famine grass um, is another thing that it's called. Mm-hmm. And... I'm going to get into an overview of it, but first I'm going to read you an interesting sort of, like, narrative account that I found on Wisley.com. This is by Joe Harrington. How do you spell Wisley? W-I-Z-Z-L-E-Y. Okay, cool. And this is an article on Wisley. Um, it's by Joe Harrington. If you look it up, it's under the title, Fergarta, the Irish Hungry Grass. Are there hungry fields in Ireland waiting to trap unwary walkers? And if so, what ghosts lurk within? True Irish hauntings, as recounted to me. Everyone in Ireland knows about the Fairgartha. It might be a story told by a friend of a friend, or they may have encountered it themselves. The hungry grass doesn't just turn up in one place. It's all over the Emerald Isle. Stories spanning decades, perhaps even centuries, tell of them. It was just one such storyteller who first introduced the ghostly pastures to me. I've since asked many Irish people, and they've shared what they know with me. I've put their tales together to share them with you. A chance meeting with a true Irish bard. This old man didn't need a harp to tell his tales. He had half the people in the pub buying his beer just to keep him talking. Which is, like, literally the most Irish thing I've ever heard. I love that. There's no one like the Irish for telling ghost stories. Or, for that matter, any tale at all. Maybe it's in the soft brogue that leaves the listeners willing to believe anything. Maybe it's in the haunting landscapes they are describing. I just know that those with a real gift of the gab can leave a whole room spellbound until the story is told. It was in such circumstances that I first heard about the hungry fields. The speaker was an old man who only kept with the stories as long as his pint glass was full. He had begun just talking to me, but one by one, everyone in the pub garden stopped their conversations to listen too. A crowd of English and Welsh, not one of us had physically been to Connemara, but we were there now. Young and old, all entranced enough to put down our smartphones and PSPs and pay attention to a true storyteller. Who would a PSP in the pub? <laughs> Millennials! No, like, actually, who would a PSP in the pub? <laughs> I really want to know. But anyway. Um, Connemara, in case you were wondering, is a region of Ireland. It's a coastal okay. region. Um, it's very mountainous. It's very beautiful. Okay. I, I was going to say, I've only, I've not been to much of Ireland. I've seen, yeah. I've seen Kinsale. Mm-hmm. Um, Kinsale's adorable. It's beautiful. Um, um, yeah, Connemara is one of the places yeah. that I was. Uh, okay. Clifton is a city in Connemara, and we were there. Okay. But I also, I hiked um, Diamond Hill in Connemara. Also, so. they're not wrong. I'll listen to an Irish person talk to me about anything. Uh, yeah, well, fun fact, I have the gift of gab. I don't know if you were aware, but kissed the Blarney Stone. You kissed That's what you it? Get. Yeah, I did. 
Oh. You did. I didn't kiss it. I feel like this would have come up at some point. But yeah, kiss the Blarney Stone, which is how you supposedly got the gift of gas. I saw it. I didn't kiss it. I was shy. That's fair. Okay. I mean, it's wild. You have to like hang upside down and like reach your neck out and kiss it. I was nine and afraid. (laughs) But anyway. I understand. Proud of your gifts. Thanks. Anyway, most tales were told with a twinkle in his eye. They weren't meant to be believed. But when he got to this one, something changed in his aspect. We had chills and the story has remained with me to this day. That was a couple of decades ago. I've since quietly asked various Irish people about what he told us that night. The really frightening part is that with the barest bit of prompting, the details have been repeated back to me. From a lady from Cork, a man from Kilkenny, a woman whose father came from Galway. They might tell a good story, the Irish, but when the conversation moves to the Fergartha, it feels very real indeed. He called them the Hungry Fields. I've since heard them more commonly referred to as the Hungry Grass, or by the Gaelic name. The old man swore that this had happened to his granddad's brother. We all smiled. It was quite amazing the breadth of things that had assaulted his family and his stories so far. He caught our knowing expressions, but instead of meeting them with the usual wink of collusion in willing gullibility, he grew serious. No, really. It happened. He seemed uncomfortable suddenly, in the midst of an English pub far across the Irish Sea. Whatever the truth, it was certain that he believed this one. His great-uncle, as a young man, had been out walking after a day at work. He was heading home for his tea, but he was in no great hurry. It was a pleasant late afternoon, settling into the long shadows of encroaching evening. He was quite alone on that quiet country lane. All around him, the miles stretched out over a peat bog wilderness, ending in distant mountains. Pools of water glistened here and there, growing darker as he approached, reflecting more the soil beneath than the sinking sun above. As he had done a hundred times or more, he passed by a deserted village standing well back from the track. The cottages and crofts were just roofless stumps of walls. Their occupants were long gone. The familiar sight nonetheless always unsettled him, and he sped up to pass it. Only on this occasion, he happened to glance at the overgrown outline of one of the old fields surrounding it. No one had plowed that since the potato crop failed, half a century before. He didn't know what compelled him to wander over there. There was no gate, if there had ever been one, but the dry stone walls had survived well enough. He entered the field and meandered across it, pushing through tall grasses and unchecked wildflowers. It had felt peaceful, but then an eerie sensation passed through him. He wasn't sure why he'd wanted to be in there, but now he really wanted to move on. He couldn't say what was making him uncomfortable, maybe the memory of tragedy implied by the location, but it was time to go. He couldn't find the gap where a gate might have been. Half laughing at himself, calling himself all manner of fool, he finally applied some reason to the bizarre situation. The field wasn't so big, nor the grass so tall that he couldn't see over it, but he patently couldn't see the way out. He would simply follow the wall instead. It had to eventually lead to the gate, didn't it? The sun slipped behind the horizon, and he hadn't come home. It was quite late before his wife raised the alarm, having spent some time getting past her annoyance at a spoiled meal in order to ascertain that he wasn't in any of the local pubs. His brothers, cousins, and friends formed a search party, chugging all over town. The Connemara man's granddad was amongst those who retraced the route back to his place of work. By now, it was nearly midnight, and the empty bog was pitch black, with no moon to speak of to guide them. They called his name and listened intently. No response was heard. Yet a group of them carried on hunting all night, warily traipsing the bog, calling, listening, hearing nothing. It was morning before he was found, still walking around and around the field. One of his workmates and two of his brothers stood outside the perimeter calling his name. He appeared blank, unhearing, but with an expression of utter desperation and exhaustion. He did not look up, nor even acknowledge that they were there. Finally, his eldest brother grabbed him by the arm as he staggered by the gap in the wall. He looked at them with haunted eyes and gabbled words about hunger. So much hunger. 
He was famished. Then he collapsed. He was carried home and nursed by his worried wife. He appeared aged and frail, shocked to the core. His weariness far outstripped that expected of any healthy man in the prime of his life, even one who'd been walking all night. And he was so hungry, always hungry, in a way which no food could abate. He never recovered and died within the week. We asked his great-nephew what the cause had been, but the Konamara man just shrugged and said something like general debility. Then he shivered and reached for his pint. It was a story that he'd been told by his grandfather, and he believed it. Right then, in that place and time, looking at his expression, so did we. Oh my. Yeah. That's kind of harrowing. So what are your immediate takes on the hungry grass? Well, it's it actually is really scary <laughs> to me. I, I yeah, it's kind of horrible. Mm-hmm. There's something very specific about, like, cursed or, um, like, living locations like that mm-hmm. that is, is, is somehow very affecting in a way that a, like, a creature or, like, a mobile entity is somehow not for me. I, yeah, you can't fight it. Yeah. What do you do and, and what? Well, we'll get to that. Oh, because there are ways. Okay. It is um, not always inherently fatal. Is it? Is the lore of it fairy adjacent at all? Um, in a lot of explanations, yes. There are okay. a couple different explanations for it. So basically, hungry grass, when you get down to it, are cursed patches of land, um, or specifically patches of grass, that afflict anybody who walks over them with just this great, uh, like, unquenchable hunger, right? Um, and... They're, they're kind of ubiquitous all across Ireland. There are places where they're specifically said to originate. Um, there is a location called Hungry Hill, which is supposedly where this grass first grew and then, like, spread from there. There yeah. are some explanations that say that it's, you know, it's tricky fairies. Um, there are other explanations, though, and the one most common is that hungry grass is the grass that grows where victims of the potato famine died. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, which is a lot. So that's what I was talking about. Like, it's a thing that sounds kind of silly, and it's, like, a, mm. a weird sort of whimsical thing, but it's also, like, steeped in a very real tragedy. Well, hearing that makes a lot of sense, actually, because – and I want to eventually do an episode dedicated just to ghosts, but ghost stuff comes in, and a lot of stuff mm-hmm. I talk about on this show. And there is something to be said for the fact that – and, of course, some of this could be attributed to knowing what, like, has happened in a location, but there's something to be said for the way that – tragedy lingers in the air somewhere it's taken place mm-hmm. there's something to be like i i've i visited a lot of um uh civil war battlefield sites in my yeah. time and uh, particularly antietam there's something to be said for stepping out onto that particular field and kind of getting hit with the just overwhelming sense of something happened here yeah, definitely. Something um, happened here. Yeah, and I'll tell you, there are, I mean, there are a lot of places yeah. like that, um, especially in West Virginia and mm-hmm. here in Virginia as well. But there are definitely locations where, like, whether you believe in ghosts or not, there is very much the aura of, like, a thing that has gone on there. Um, Harper's Ferry is definitely like that. Oh, yes. Um, the Moundsville State Penitentiary in West Virginia is, like, so spooky. Um, mm-hmm. And then the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum in um, in Weston, West Virginia, is, like, one of the most haunted places I've ever been adjacent to. I've never even gone to it. Mm-hmm. But just, like, looking at it, you feel that coming off of it. And and I guess, like, the idea is, like, even if ghosts aren't, like, physically haunting mm-hmm. a place and manifesting, there's something to be said for tragedy leaving a mark on a place. Oh, yeah. Um, and I feel like, Actually, yeah. when I was in Ireland, one of the places I visited was Kilmainham Jail. Mm-hmm. And Kilmainham is, like crazy haunted. But even if, again, you're not into the idea of, like, 
actual literal spirits haunting it, it's haunted in the like same way that a person who has seen horrible things might be haunted. Like mm-hmm. it's it's got this legacy that goes with it. And you can't stand in the courtyard of Kilmanham Jail where the last public executions in Ireland happened at the Easter Uprising and like not feel something. You know, it's mm-hmm. wild. It is oh, a really interesting location. The Tower of London. Yeah. I, yeah, I spent some sure. time there. And and again, I'm sure skeptics can can say, and like it's a fair point, that that is something you're kind of projecting onto it because you're primed to expect that feeling when you know somewhere is the site of tragedy. Sure. But I don't know. I just I feel like there's something to be said for the way that it can leave an imprint on a place the same way it could leave an imprint on a person's psyche. Uh, yeah, if totally. You're, if you're if you're of the belief uh, that like all things hold energy in the earth and everything um, is all connected in this way, this energetic way, then then that sort of intense loss, that sort of intense. Tra- I, I keep repeating the word tragedy, but there's not really a synonym for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that really carries the same weight. It's going to leave something behind. It's going to leave an effect behind. And I feel like like obviously there are other explanations for the the hungry grass story but uh, that that makes a lot of sense to me. Well yeah, and I mean the the other thing to keep in mind is no matter what your justification for it is, whether it is like ghosts acting on you or whether it is like some sort of imprint on this area of like spectral energy or whether it is just cultural memory. Um none of those things are less real, right? Mm-hmm. Like even if you're a skeptic and you say like, well that's just you projecting. Like okay, fair, but it still has a very real effect on you in that moment. Mhm. And so I mean, the thing with the hungry grass is I, I haven't personally spoken to anyone from Ireland about this. I don't know if it's like a widespread thing or if that's just, you know, people spinning stories on the internet. But I know that it is hard not to think of that when you think of Ireland. Like just that, that cultural memory and that imprint and that historical significance of that effect. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things like people talk about the potato famine in like American schools and we're kind of like, well, that sounds dumb. Like, but it's, that's horrible, right? Like that's a really sweeping cultural national tragedy. And I was so intrigued by the idea of like this particular, I guess, phenomenon, like being a sort of imprint of that on the land itself, which is so intriguing to me. Um, because you're right, that sense of, like, location as being tied to specific events or feelings or, like, memories or eras is really, really fascinating. Anyway, that having been said, um, you mentioned ghosts. And it's mm-hmm. important to note that with the um, sort of, like, legend of the Fergarta, there is also this ghost that goes along with it. So some people, it, it depends on where you're reading the story, but in some like, explanations or indications, it is the grass itself that is haunted. In other sort of like explanations, it is this location is associated with a a ghost or a spirit of the individual who passed away and cursed it. So sometimes it'll be the grass itself causing it. Sometimes people who walk across this grass will see these ghosts. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ghost's name is so similar that I I cannot pronounce it for you in like a way that would sound distinguishable <laughs> because I'm not that good at Gaelic. Um, and I apologize, I've probably been butchering things all throughout this episode. But um, it's called the hungry man or the man of famine. And that ghost appears as um, an emaciated and gaunt man with hollow cheeks, sunken eyes, and dressed in rags. Um, the Fergartha may have the appearance of a walking corpse. It travels the land and knocks on doors and approaches people and asks for food and money. Those who freely give are rewarded with prosperity. Those who refuse to give or who abuse him are severely punished with poverty and famine. So it's not always an evil thing. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, if you do abuse a homeless man asking right. for food, then you do deserve to suffer. That's terrible. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's 
you know, when we're talking about, like, survival strategies later on. Um, there are several, obviously, but the most common of them, if you are dealing with this particular iteration of it, is just be a good person. Yeah, just <laughs> like, be nice. Don't turn away somebody who literally looks to be a walking corpse on the brink of death and say to them, no, we don't have anything for you. Um, it is sometimes considered to be an omen of approaching famine, although I'm not sure whether that's, like, if you turn it away, you obviously will have famine upon you because that's the way the curse works, so maybe it's, like, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Or if it is just, like, the appearance of this thing indicates oncoming famine, and, like, whether you help him or not, it's it's gonna happen. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. That's sort of up for debate in various different circles. Um, this, actually, this source, which is the demoniacal.blogspot.com. Oh, I've used them. It's a cool resource. I like it. Um, It has a section called Defense Against It, which is show kindness to those in need. Those who are cursed by the Fairgarta deserve their fate, for Fairgarta does not curse the innocent or kind-hearted. So. So. Don't be a jerk and you're going to be fine. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, yeah, so the tone of this, like, hungry grass or fairy grass or famine grass or whatever you call it, varies pretty widely from source to source. In some cases, it is very, like, reverential and very serious and, like, a a very grave tone to it, if you'll pardon the pun. Um, in other, it's sort of like, you know, it's a story that, like, you tell kids. Like, I don't want you running over in that field. There's hungry grass. Um, you know, that kind of a thing. Yeah, we tell kids some really messed up stories, huh? (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, But one of the things that actually comes up again and again is this idea that, like, you can protect yourself against hungry grass by making sure that you always have snacks in your pocket. (laughs) As long as you are eating while you are crossing hungry grass, it won't hurt you. So always be eating. Always be eating. A-B-E. Always be eating. That's our... Abe. Finally! Okay, this is not me making, like, a silly, like, this is not me trying to be, like, the best kind of girl is a quirky girl. This isn't, like, one of those. I do all... (laughs) But I almost always have fruit in my purse. Mm, There you go. Um, I always have, like, an apple or a banana in my purse because I'm hungry a lot and I like to make healthy snack choices when I can. So now I have a good reason to always have fruit in my purse. You absolutely do. Let's talk about a source that sort of has that tone to go with it. This is from um, amayodruid.blogspot.com. Oh, cool. It builds itself as a place where like-minded people can get together. So can why I get that website? chair and sit a while. Oh, that's cute. Sorry, I yeah. didn't mean to interrupt. Can I get that website again? Yeah, it's, um, okay, it's either amayodruid or amayodruid. I'm not sure what the correct okay. pronunciation is. First time you said it, I heard it as amayodruid. Amayodruid.com. No. Okay. That's a subject for a different day. Anyway, Fairgartic means hungry grass. This is a patch of dead grass. Some say it pops up where someone has died violently. Some say it happens specifically where someone has died of hunger. This grass turns predator. Anyone who walks across it gets the same sickness as the hungry man inflicts on the uncharitable. They get an insatiable hunger. Have you ever been walking down a green, grassy road on a bright, sunny day and were suddenly overtaken by a hunger so strong you almost passed out? No. Believe me, it's happened. A good Irishman would immediately know why and what to do. Hungry grass. There are those who suggest that it's a spot where a corpse has lain on the way to its final resting place, or even where they still lie, covered by grass, memories of the famine. There are even those who suggest that it may be a fairy curse. Anyone who walks or passes over the hungry grass will suddenly become hungry beyond reason, even if they have just been well-fed. Those who live near patches of such grass have been known to keep extra food on hand in the case of afflicted travelers knocking on their door. No other side effects are known. Sometimes you might even hear some of the older folk say, the fair Gartic is on me, meaning they are feeling very hungry. When we were young children, we were told to always have a biscuit or a piece of bread in our pockets when going out for a walk, just in case the hungry grass came on us. Of course, if you ate the biscuit, you could always suck on a shoelace. <laughs> I'm what? not sure. It comes from nowhere. That's all that i Is that I've like an idiom you. or is that an actual piece of advice? I think it's an actual piece of advice. 
As an adult, when I visit somewhere like the Famine Village, I break off a piece of bread, pour a little of what I have to drink, and I also break off the tip of my cigarette and place them on the ground as an offering to the spirits of the place. That's nice. Yeah, isn't that great? Not sure about the cigarette tip, but the rest of it's really nice. (laughs) I guess if you're dead, you can't get lung cancer. Yeah, Um. true. True. Um, Do you want to see, like, sort of an, an interesting rendering of the Hungry Grass? I do. This is, like, not in line with any of the stories or accounts that I've read, but it's an artist's rendering, which I love very much. It's an much. evil dandelion. It's an evil dandelion. It very much is. I don't think that it looks like that. It probably doesn't, no. That looked like a Goosebumps cover. It, honestly, yeah, it really does. Um, let me title it. Let me title it. Um. The Day of the Dandelions. The Day of the Dan... That's a pretty good one. Thank you. That's my Goosebumps title. R.L. Stein. I know you're listening. (laughs) We know you're out there, R.L. Stein. I know you're listening, R.L. Stein. Your Twitter is one of my favorite parts of Twitter. Something that I have to ask you, uh, Uh because I feel like you would know it if I don't. Is R.L. Stein a pen name? His name is Robert Lawrence Stein. That is wild to me. Because R.L. Stein is, like, almost in order the most common letters in the English alphabet. Oh, really? Yeah. Which is how, like, if I'm... This is, like, so nerdy. I'm sorry. If oh, no, I'm doing, okay. like, um, Caesar ciphers or whatever, like, yeah. that's one way to figure out is, like, to write out R-L-S-T-I-N-E. Um, mm. The I is, like, not as central as, like, E, but... Um, and you, like, see which letters come up with the most frequency, and it's usually going to be one of those letters. Really? No, yeah, his mm-hmm. name is uh, Robert Lawrence Stein. Yeah, I've wondered that for, like, ever. Yeah. I, I, like, it's like, is that a very clever pen name, or when, is that a wild coincidence? A uh, wild coincidence. Um, the universe is amazing. Also, you want to know a fun fact about Earl Stein, though, is he did used to use a pen name when he wrote joke books, which is what he did before he wrote Goosebumps you, books. Yeah, yeah. I want to tell, but if the people don't know, I want everyone to know that Earl Stein's old uh, joke book writing pen name was Jovial Bob Stein. Jovial Bob. Jovial Bob. I love that so much. I love Jovial Bob. I really do love R.L. Stein. He, his books were a big part of my childhood, and his Twitter is delightful. <laughs> I'm just think the time that we live tweeted that Ghostbusters, or the Goosebumps, not Ghostbusters, oh my god. The Goosebumps movie was um, a delight. Really quickly, this is not anything. No one is listening to this podcast to hear me talk about R.L. Stein's Twitter, but I Welcome saw Welcome to our podcast. I've been a podcast. Yeah. Welcome to our R.L. Our, our Stein fan cast. Just kidding. That already exists. It's called Welcome to Deadcast uh, or Nightmare on Fear Street. There are two of them. Um, but uh, Welcome to Nightmare on Fairgartha Street. Um, goodbye. But um, he tweeted something recently that made me laugh out loud because I'm the worst and it was just like did you know if you bought every single goosebumps book that i've ever written it would be enough to stretch from my house to my bank <laughs> and i laughed that's darling i loved him wow love that um are you ready to hear about hungry hill mm-hmm. some have said that hungry hill is where hungry grass has originated from the first person that ventured on the hill were never seen again people were afraid to even go by the hill nevertheless someone else eventually got to go up on the hill and lived It's also inexplicable, but just bear with me. Content over form. A young fisherman that came to Ireland wanted to fish there, and the ocean was behind Hungry Hill. So in the morning, the fisherman forgot to eat breakfast, so he thought he would eat it on the way to the ocean. He brought an apple and sandwich for lunch. He got the apple out and started eating it. As he got to the hill, people started yelling not to go upon the hill, but he didn't listen. As he was climbing, the grass on the hill wiggled almost snake-like and wrapped around him. He was still eating, and every time he took a bite, it would fall off of him. When he got to shore, other fishermen told him that the hill was said to kill people. He then put two and two together and came to the conclusion that if you ate well on the grass, you wouldn't fall ill. The fairies were furious, and 
I think this is supposed to be decided, but it says desisted. <laughs> desisted to plant hungry grass everywhere. Some people brought food with them wherever they went. Others were skeptic and eventually fell to their doom. The famine had eventually stopped when people built a wall around Hungry Hill. If the wall was ever to fall, the hungry grass may come back again. Um, that's all very much to take in. That's a lot. But what I'm getting from that is that Hungry Hill is like a location where this hungry grass sort of originated or was originally planted and cultivated by the fairies. And it was a place that no one went until this one fisherman from out of town uh, decided to eat his breakfast on the go that morning and found that if you are eating while you are traversing the hill, then it will not affect you. And he changed things forever with that apple. Changed things forever with that apple. What I love so much about this Buckwild story is that, like, the grass is wrapping around him and tripping him. And instead of, like, fighting back, he's like, huh, guess this is how I go. And keeps eating his apple. (laughs) You know what they say, guys? An apple a day keeps the hunger grass away. Hey. All right. Yeah. That's the last joke because this is actually all very intense and... Um, you gotta have some levity wrapped in somewhere. In, yeah, I know. It's just wrapped in a lot of complex emotions, so I feel guilty it is. when I It's complicated. Say I don't... Sorry. No, it's okay. What's up? It's hard. The hunger grass is just... It's just a really interesting, troubling thing. Yes. <laughs> Not as articulate as you all come to expect <laughs> me to be, perhaps. Um... I'm having shades of the Dear Woman episode again in that I'm being affected, but this is, like, less I feel cleansed and more I am sad. But, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm really nailing it with the cryptid content recently, Oh, no, right? it's okay. It's really interesting is the thing about... The thing about it is, don't get me wrong, it is fascinating and, and a very interesting topic to sort of dive into and uncover. It's more just, I think, there's something very specific that it's it, it must be... It's, it's hitting on some sort of strange, like... Uh, emotional soft spot for me, I suppose. Like, mm-hmm. there's some sort of weird chord it's striking that just kind of... A curse of, of, of like, unquenchable hunger until you just die is, is really upsetting. Yeah. Um, um, so, not to be pedantic, and I'm sorry, it's, like, bad timing, but um, just as a clarification, in, and we haven't talked about this yet, so you're fine. This is not me saying, like, well, actually, it's me oh, yeah. just saying, like... Pointer. Um, sometimes it is said that the the curse of the disease is just like um, unstoppable hunger until you until you die. In other cases, it's like you become so hungry that you actually overeat, and that is what causes. That's worse. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Those are both horrible. They're both real bad. And this is the part of the episode where I talk about tarar. Um, T-A-R-R-A-R-E, I believe is the spelling of his name. Um, but he was this French, this Frenchman who um, famously ate, like, an enormous, incredible, like, unbelievable amount. Like, he had, like, this distended stomach and just, like, had this unquenchable appetite and, like, would just keep eating and eating and eating and eating and eating. And people suspect that he maybe ate a baby. Oh, my God. I know. He was, um, like, he was at this, like... Uh, camp like a military camp mm-hmm. uh, or like a like a base and um a baby went missing while he was there eating Yikes. like all of their food stores and like all of this like all of the stuff you can read more about his story like i've only read about it like in kind of brief bursts so i'm not in any way an authority on it but like it is really fascinating but that's all i can think about is just like just like eating 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 forever like that was that was like his his thing that's and then when he wild. yeah and then when he when he eventually like passed away the autopsy on him was like was wild like uh, like i i don't want to go too much into it because this is not a like tarar podcast <laughs> and he was not a cryptid he, his existence has been confirmed but like he was kind of a medical mystery um there's actually a really a sawbones episode about him oh cool uh 
and it's it's really just fascinating. But the but when you talk about like unbelievable like immense appetite with no satisfaction, that's who my brain goes to. Interesting. Um, well, there are no cannibalistic associations with the hungry grass, so it was, like, fear not. Yeah, the only reason he ate the baby was supposedly it was just there was no more food. He was still hungry. He had to eat something. Had to eat a baby. <laughs> had to eat a baby. Yikes! He had like pica too, and like a whole bunch of yeah, it. Was wild. I mean, it sounds like he had many problems. He had a lot of problems. Um, but anyway, okay, cool. Only tangentially related. It's just that. No, it was yeah. interesting. Hey, Cryptid Keepers. This is Alex. Just uh, hope you're enjoying the episode so far. This is me dropping in to give you a little bit of information on this week's sponsor, which is Studio Headphones. Studio is aiming to revolutionize the way people see headphones as not just a tech device, but also an accessory. Currently, the headphones market can offer you one of two things, style or technology. Fashionable headphones tend to lack sound quality, and high-tech variations are bulky and not that great looking. Don't look good on your Insta, you know what I'm saying? Studio is looking to bridge that gap. While emphasizing modern Scandinavian design, they also provide a product that matches the quality of even the highest rated headphones on the market for a fraction of the cost with free worldwide shipping. Addison and I both have Studio headphones. We love them. I have the uh, Studio Tray earbuds, which are excellent. They have in-ear wingtips and just impeccable sound quality and battery life that are great for an active lifestyle. And Addison has the Regents, which are the premium on-ear model with impeccable clarity and instrumental tones and balanced sound and over 24 hours of active battery life. That's 20 days of standby time. They're an incredible option and they have uh, these replaceable ear caps so you can change up the style on the go, however you want. Right now, if you go to Studio to order headphones, not only will you get the free shipping, but you can use our discount code for our listeners, which is KEEPER15, K-E-E-P-E-R-1-5, which gives you 15% off any of your purchases. So please go ahead and check them out. Addison and I both love ours. We can speak for them from personal experience, and I hope that you guys will like them too. So thanks so much for tuning in, and I'll let you get back to the episode. Well, um, I was going to segue into, like, a bit of a more historical anecdote on the famine, but I'm not sure if the mood is right now. I'm sorry. Not that the mood is ever right to talk about the potato famine. Although I am noticing, I just want to say that I think, like, on a good day, like, we both have very, like, fun, silly cryptids that we bring to the table. On a bad day, I find that, like, you bring ones that are kind of so horrifying, I'm not sure what to do with them. And I think I bring ones that are just really sad. <laughs> I don't think I'd call those bad days. I'd just call them different days. Different I love my days. horrifying ones. I love my sad sons. <laughs> I was gonna say, I'm still so happy I talked about the Kuchakaona. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, she was freaky. She's scary, yeah. She is scary. Um, anyway, well, let's, like, just delve a little bit further into the sadness then. I'm sorry. Okay. With a website name that I actually love, and the website itself is cool. I spent a little bit of time exploring it. Yeah. Called SpookyIsles.com. I like that. Okay, here's the thing. I'm ready. I've got my little water wings on. I won't. I'll float. I'll float on the top okay. of the sadness. Here's an article called The Hungry Grass Tells Horrific Tales. Mm-hmm. Anne O'Regan says the starving souls of famine victims still haunt the fields of Ireland today. If you have ever found yourself in an Irish country pub and listened in on a conversation or two, you may have heard mention of Fairgortuk, or the hungry grass. If you are foolish enough to step on the hungry grass, you will be doomed to suffer insatiable hunger, that is, until you die. In the late 1840s, the Irish famine took hold, and man, woman, and child were left to starve to death as a direct result of the potato blight and a misuse of resources under British government rule. Over a million people died in poverty, starvation, and agony. These victims of famine were thrown into mass graves, usually fields, their souls forever to be in torment. All over Ireland, there were hundreds of mass graves, or famine graveyards as they became known. 
all were originally unconsecrated, although in later years, many became memorialized and recognized consecrated ground. Some, however, remained buried in cold, unhallowed ground, souls crying out for their purgatory to end. Over the top of these burial sites, the grass grew and it was cursed. It was hungry. Anyone spending time in Ireland will at some point be told of a shortcut, and inevitably this will lead to crossing a field. From Cork to Kilkenny and Galway to Connemara, you will hear tales of people losing their way on such shortcuts and being caught by the hungry grass. A young man walking home, a sunny day, strolling through the field, found days later, not knowing where he is, starving and confused. He is taken home and no amount of nursing or food can save him. Others are so overwhelmed by the touch of the cursed grass that they drop dead of hunger where they stand. The victims of the famine have become predatory, seeking to drag others into their hell, and your only protection is to carry a crust of bread in your pocket. And even this may not be enough to save you. Uh-oh. Next time you are walking through a field, ask yourself, is that a brush of grass around your ankles or the bony fingers of the ravenous seeking company as misery requires? And then there's a little poem here. Okay. <laughs> it's not pleasant, but it's interesting. No, yeah. A million unheard voices, starved and damned to hell. If you set foot on the hungry grass, they'll take you there as well. A million unheard voices cry the agony of their final hour. If you set foot on the hungry grass, your soul they will devour. Ooh. Right? Um, so I think it's important to talk about in any conversation about the potato famine, which is what I'm making this now. <laughs> no, it's fine. Because I don't think you can talk about the hungry grass without talking about it. And I don't think you can talk about, like just sort of, like, the the creepy, weird, like, side effects of these things without talking about, like, the actual horrible thing that happened. And what's so upsetting about the potato famine is that, like, while the actual fungus that attacked the plants itself was not avoidable, um, the way it was handled absolutely was. And it's not so much a tragedy of, like, this natural disaster as it is very much a tragedy of, like, government mishandling. Yeah. Um, and so what I find so interesting about that in the one respect is that this idea of the Fairgarth ghost that comes around, like, can be satiated just by treating him kindly and, like, showing benevolence and, like, helping with the resources that you have to offer. Um, because I think that, at least to me, is very poignant and very telling about, like, what the real tragedy here was. Um, in that it wasn't just, like, people whose food source was unavailable to them suddenly. It was a tragedy of, like, not being able to get help when they really needed it. Um, and I think that's something that is unfortunately still super-duper relevant. Absolutely. In all sorts of places, obviously. But let that be a lesson to all of you. <laughs> well, that's the thing, is it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's the, a, a tragedy that's the result of injustice, and so mm -hmm. you have a spirit punishing injustice. And right. I think, yeah, I think there's an incredible lesson there. Now, don't just be a good person because you're afraid a ghost is going to kill you. <laughs> Although, hey, if it's the only way we can get through to you, then that's fine. That's all, but that, I was going to say, but if the only way you'll be nice to other people and kind and generous is because you're afraid a ghost is going to kill you. Because, like, let's be real, somebody who's starving is not going to turn away your charity because it's, like, misintended. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. If you're doing the right thing for the wrong reasons, at least you're doing the right thing. But... At a certain point, that's what matters to me, the result. But um, impact is, matters more than intent, always. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I was going to say, it worked for Scrooge in A Christmas yeah, Carol. Right? Sometimes the only way to get rich people to be nice is to scare them with ghosts. It's to scare them with ghosts. If that, if Actually, any... that's the new policy I'm going to implement in the wake of this government yeah. shutdown. I'm going to start a GoFundMe to raise a bunch of ghosts <laughs> to send them to the government. Yep. 
Um, I was going to say, if there's anything I learned from the works of Charles Dickens, it's that the only way to get rich people to be nice is to scare them with ghosts. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think that's a lesson well taken. Make them look at their own graves and say, this is you, and then they'll be nice. This will be you. Actually, I don't think the ghost of Christmas yet to come speaks. I think he just points. Um, yes, that is correct. He just points at the gravestone, and then Scrooge is like, oh, it's me. It's me. What can I do to avoid this? Help. And then there's a ripple dissolve, and then he wakes up back in his own bed. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. And those were Charles Dickens' exact words. He said, here's a ripple dissolve. Yeah, and then he's like, Merry Christmas. And everyone's like, old man Scrooge lost it. Um, yep. Anyway. What day is it? It's Christmas Day. What? It's Christmas Day. Okay. Um, yeah. That was an interesting <laughs> that was uh, a little aside. bit that we did. Yeah, so... Um, I'll have, like, one or two more sort of stories to tell you about the Hungry Grass, but that's pretty much it information-wise. There's not a lot to know about it, except that it's just what it says on the box, you know? Actually, it's not quite what it says on the box, because when you said Hungry Grass, first my instinct was marijuana, and then my second instinct was it's grass that eats you. Uh, yeah, no, not quite. It's grass that is hungry and it eats you. That was my second instinct. Neither of my ins- So sometimes your first instinct and your second instinct are both wrong, and you have to wait and listen for the actual truth. <laughs> so, Which is why we're here. Yeah. There we go. Uh, yeah. It's interesting, because if you, if you Google, like, the hungry grass or the fairgartic, um, which, by the way, is F-E-A-R- G-O-R-T-A-C-H. For Fear. The, for the grass. And um, for, like, the spirit, it's F-E-A-R-G-O-R-T-A, without the C-H on the end. You didn't tell me it was spelled, like, fear. It is spelled like fear, which is why I made that, that fear joke, like, earlier uh, in the episode. See, I couldn't have understood. And it wasn't funny to you then. It, it was still funny. Start this episode from the beginning uh-huh. and um, listen to everything with that knowledge. <laughs> You'll have that knowledge, though, because it's going to be, like, in the episode. It'll be in the title, so they'll, they'll know. They'll they always it. know more than one of us does going in. Time travels wild, man. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, yeah, if, anyway, if you, if you Google it, a lot of different sources come up, but they all pretty much have the same information. So there's no shortage of, like, corroboration on the fact that this is a thing. It's just, there's not much to say about it other than, don't walk on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or if you do, carry snacks. Carry some snacks, and then here's some historical context. Be nice to passerby. Learn your history. Yep. Here is another story for you. It's called A Shortcut Across a Galway Fairgarten. Oh, I've been to Galway. Yeah, same. I heard this story secondhand, not me, the author, as a friend was told it by her Galway father. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's me Galway father. I'm, I'm sure there's like a word for a person from Galway. <laughs> I, I don't know why to say like her father from Galway or, or her like, father, a Galway native. Or like, yeah, or like her Galwegian father. If Galwegian. That's well, you say Glaswegian. From Sorry, for, Gla- for Glasgow, you say Glaswegian, so I wasn't sure. That's no, not you say her Ireland, Glasgow though. father. <laughs> um, anyway. <clears throat> but that's not Ireland, so different rules. Different rules. All of the locals knew about the cursed area south of the town, but it wasn't something that was told to the tourists. One night, an Englishman was out walking alone. He must have seen the lights in the distance and thought that a trek across the bog would be a nice shortcut. Okay, I'm just going to say, a trek across a bog is, is not a nice not any- good shortcut. That's not a nice anything. Yeah, right. He was spotted by a passing police car, arms limp and panting. His arms limp and panting. <laughs> That's a weirdly parsed sentence. His arms were panting. <laughs> Well, that's the problem. (laughs) That's going to do it for you. His eyes wild with despair. He was staggering around and around the enclosure. 
It wasn't a big field either, barely a paddock. The wall was tumbled down enough that he could have stepped over it at any point, but he didn't, because he couldn't. The officers pulled up and climbed out of their car. They waited alongside one of the walls, fully aware of the legend, but mindful of more prosaic explanations too. Drink, drugs, some kind of exercise or meditation, mental illness, they had a bigger checklist than most. The smallness of the field also gave them plenty of chances to observe him as he passed by. He didn't look at them. He wouldn't answer their questions. He was wheezing, terrified, and in tears. Eventually, he was pulled free right over the wall, which wasn't even a foot high there, where he fainted clean away. The English tourist was taken to the hospital, where he was admitted. That's where we lose track of the story, as it was told by the policeman in the pub, and my friend's father who heard it. Here's one, um, an ex- or sort of an experience, I guess, a story from Hungry Grass in County Cork. Mmm, County Cork. County Cork. A family from there. From Kark? Well, no, they're not alive anymore, but yes. <laughs> Did the hungry grass get No. They're, they were just old. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, that's not funny, but compared to everything else we've been talking about, it kind of is. It's like, oh, you want to hear something actually really funny? Do you know Tell me. It was, it was actually, she was a relative of my, of my mom's. I've like grown up hearing uh-huh. about her, but you know what her name was? Tell me. Katie Carney. Katie Carney. From County Cork. From County Cork. Oh, yeah. I love that. It's the most Irish thing I've ever oh, heard. That's I love it. Anyway. Uh, the Hungry Grass in County Cork. We had been discussing work matters when I asked my Irish colleague a question. I thought she'd laugh and chide me for listening to blokes in pubs. They're not called the Hungry Fields, the lady from Cork told me. It's the Hungry Grass, if we're going straight from the Gaelic. <laughs> she nodded grimly as she moved about her kitchen, making us both a nice cup of tea. But sure, it's real enough. I could have expected some tall tales from a man in a pub, telling stories for beer, but not from her. As practical and down-to-earth a woman as I'd ever met, she never struck me as the sort to countenance anything beyond the here and now. I heard about it a lot when I was growing up. Sugar was ladled into bone china cups. There was one not far from me. I was intrigued. Did you go there? No. She laughed like that was an absurd idea. I thought she was going to say that she hadn't believed it enough to check the field out. But no. My mother would have tanned my behind for even thinking about it. Lots of people got trapped up there, just walking around until they collapsed and died of exhaustion. She hadn't known any of them personally, though, nor could she recall any specific stories. I wondered if there had been something else dangerous in that field, a pool or a sudden drop, which rendered the hungry grass a cautionary tale to keep children away. She shook her head. It was a perfectly ordinary field. What happens to them? I asked. What makes people get stuck in the field? She seemed surprised. Didn't you know? It's the famine dead. They're still there, digging for food. Poor things. Yep. Is that the end? That's the end of oh. that that particular one, yeah. That one was told very cinematically as well. Yeah, it really was, wasn't it? I liked the, the sh- sugar was ladled into the cups and like t- like kind of interspersed like action in with the storytelling. I liked that a lot. But Yeah, now there are some accounts that sort of associate the Hungry Grass with like the Irish equivalent, equivalent of vampire lore. <gasps> um... Oh. Yeah, so from a, just like a short, short excerpt from a book called Vampire Universe um, by that Jonathan like, Mamory. That sounds like a great book. Um, and his, the question posed is, is the hungry grass vampiric? One writer certainly thinks so. The Fergartic is an old Irish legend about a predatory force that is vegetable rather than animal. It is a patch of grass where someone has died violently, and the taint of unnatural death somehow imbues the grass with a pernicious quality that curses anyone who walks upon it with a hunger so insatiable that the person will literally eat himself to death. The legend is very old, but during the great 19th century famine of Ireland, it was revived and embellished. 
And then there's one more account I have of Irish famine ghosts mm. um, in, I'm going to say it's County Mayo because I don't actually remember like what the pronunciation of this one is, which means that the earlier website would be a Mayo Druid um, from this area. But I apologize in advance if that's not correct. We'll just chalk it up to like my American accent. One couple had a terrifying encounter miles from anywhere in the middle of Ireland's vast peat bog. Did they narrowly avoid the hungry grass? Um, and I'm just going to stop and say I like this story specifically because it reminds me of a very specific ghost story from West Virginia, too, um, which I'll talk about, like, after we're done. I was going to say peat bogs are mighty spooky places, oh, too. Oh, yeah. But, you know, sometimes you just want to walk across a bog as a nice yeah. shortcut. <laughs> bogs and swamps, because we've got some swamp legends uh, around here. We've got Dismal Swamp. Uh, I don't know about that one. You don't know about Dismal Swamp? No, I don't All right, know we'll talk swamp. about it sometime. Okay, we'll catch up. <laughs> it's not that exciting of a legend, honestly. <laughs> it's a ghost story. Anyway. A well-known Wiccan high priestess lives in County Meath now, but she used to live in Mayo. She confirmed to me that the hungry ghosts are heard about in stories told in her present location, but it was back in Mayo where she'd encountered them herself. The main roads into Western Ireland all pass through seemingly endless miles of bogland. It can be stunningly beautiful, but not so much late at night when all you want is to be home. The priestess and her late husband were driving through it, chatting about their day to stave off boredom and keep themselves awake. It didn't help that the weather was against them. Driving conditions were hazardous enough without that extreme concentration. Suddenly, her husband glimpsed a woman standing at the side of the road. It had been a mere flash, unseen until they were actually passing her. This was the middle of nowhere, in the early hours of the morning, with rain lashing down. He second-guessed his own sight, twisting for a double take. There was no sign of her in the rearview mirror. Nevertheless, they had to reverse to check. She wasn't there. By now, their sensibilities tingled with a feeling that they weren't alone. It wasn't a nice sensation. The atmosphere felt laden with desperation and despair. Debating pareidolia versus an actual ghost sighting, this feeling gave credence to the latter. What was to happen next confirmed it all. They were everywhere, the priestess told me several years later. In families, alone, some of them not even able to hold their form. They were all around the car. Her husband had battled the instinct to close his eyes as he had to keep on driving. Going around them was not an option, so they drove on through. But this was no hit-and-run massacre. The people they were seeing had been dead a long time. Starved and trudging, these were the famine victims forced to leave their homes. They hadn't made it past this narrow country lane over 150 years before. The experience shook the couple, but somehow it seemed worse when they'd finally passed through. Now the darkness seemed watchful, menacing, and with the threat that something terrible could step out at any time. It was a very long journey back to their home. Wow. Yeah, right? Pretty. That would be crazy. terrifying. Yeah, no kidding. That's actually one of the reasons I'm afraid to drive late at night. Um, <laughs> not famine ghosts particularly, but I'm always afraid I'll see something. Yeah, no, in this area especially, because actually the ghost story I was talking about, um, there's there's like a, a somewhat famous collection of West Virginia ghost stories, I believe titled The Telltale Lilac Bush. Mm. Um, which is a really cool collection if you ever get the chance to get your hands on it. But there's one in particular that's about um, a story in the panhandle of West Virginia, not too far from us. And basically, it's a story about a ghost regiment. Um, and this okay. couple driving down like a quiet road late at night when they stopped their car because something was in front of them and basically watched an entire like foot regiment of ghost soldiers like cross the road. Wow. Yeah, right? Spooky. Yeah, nuts. So that's what I've got for you on the hungry grass. Wow. That's fascinating. Yeah, really interesting. And holds in a, like an incredible like specific historical significance. 
like I think a lot of the time with kind of a lot of these folkloric creatures, you can kind of go, well, I wonder if it originated from this or maybe this. Mm -hmm. But I feel like for this one, and there obviously are a lot of different takes on it, but I feel like it's pretty clear where at least the modern understanding of it. Yeah, so there are some explanations that, like, basically the common consensus seems to be that the the legend of the phenomenon itself goes back, like, hundreds of years, um, mm-hmm. but that the, the Great Famine is, like, what caused a massive resurgence in this. So my guess is that, like, maybe it's always been a thing in Ireland that people who died of this very specific cause caused these patches of grass to happen, but that's not usually a widespread cause of death. Oh, right. So it's as if it's it's like it was a rare phenomenon until right. the famine, and then mm-hmm. it's suddenly, it's everywhere. Yep. There's one in every village. Or it could just be fairies. Yeah, or it could, ah, uh, fairies, those tricky little, fairies. tricky little jerks. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to say a swear. No, we can't do a swear, not on this podcast. <laughs> I didn't want to do a swear, so I tried to fix it, and then it came out much wimpier than I meant it to. <laughs> those tricky little jerks. Uh, maybe um, that's a fairy swear. You don't know. <laughs> is it a fairy swear? It might be a fairy swear. Is it a sweary? Heck. Um, um, yeah. But, oh my goodness. So always keep your pockets full of apples or bread or beer or snacks, especially if you're planning on, you know, deciding to cross through a bog late at night. Yes, keep your pockets full of beer. Keep your pockets full of beer. Just pour beer into your pockets. Yeah. Love to have loose fluids in my pockets. Gotta be fun at any party. (laughs) Okay. Um, Love the swishing, squishing sound when I walk. mm, Same. I'll just stump it in my shoes. Um, (laughs) Oh, God. Um, Squelch. (laughs) Love that. Um, Be nice to beggars who come to your door. Just, you don't be a jerk. Be nice. what you have with people who have less of it than you. Seriously, I think that's good advice no matter what. That's just generally good advice. Um, don't ever get yourself into a government position where you then find yourself drastically mishandling resources that people need to live. That's very, getcha. That's very good and very specific <laughs> advice. Yeah, I'm just saying, if we can stop even one person from mishandling their government power, mishandling their government power, then I will consider this podcast all to have been worth it. Mm-hmm. I consider it worth it anyway. <laughs> I was going to say, but... And, uh, but that's the dream. Also, like, if you know any ghosts and you want to send them after some rich people that need to learn a lesson about generosity, then consider that your way of giving back to the community. <laughs> the greatest good one can do in these troubling times is to send ghosts against people who need them. <laughs> send ghosts after rich people 2018. Anyway. Yeah, that's the dream. Um, but, yeah, Irish folklore is, is so mournful. I'm mm-hmm. thinking about this... The Banshee, the Selkie. Yeah. Pretty sad. It's all, it's a very mournful. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. And I was actually, I was just having this conversation with the other day with uh, Tristan Miller. I was on his podcast, Positive and Negative. We were talking about mental health and a large part of our conversation centered around like mental health with regards to specifically Appalachian maker culture, Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, largely comes from. Ireland and and Scots-Irish culture as it emigrated over here and those people settled in the same areas. But it's interesting because, like, while I think we generally have this admittedly stereotyped view of the Irish as, like, a, a cheery, friendly people with, like, very jovial and great fun at parties and, like, celebratory um, and kind and merry and, like, that is also on the flip side of this coin that is this incredibly mournful kind of, like... I, I don't know, this like this very storied history wrought in like some periods of, of great wanting and melancholy. Um, and that sort of, that duality of like 
the melancholy of like the culture and the history versus like the joviality of the and the vibrancy of the culture is really interesting to me. But it's a pretty common occurrence, pretty much any time where you can find like and you'd be hard pressed to find a specific culture that does not have like a history of, of loss in it. Um, but there's always something that comes out of it, you know, which I think is interesting. But this, yeah, you're right. This Irish history really does have that sense of, of melancholy hanging over it. Um, but a lot of really beautiful things have come out of it. Absolutely. And I also think that like, not to get too reductive with it, but pro- perhaps the cheerfulness and the the good-natured aspects of the culture go hand-in-hand hand with the fact that there has been so much great suffering. There, It's sort of, it's the notion that comes up again and again, but of you appreciate, you know, truly know how to appreciate the good things when you haven't had mm-hmm. them. Yeah, um, totally. Yes. So, do we have any announcements? Um, yes. I want to thank all of our Patreon donors. You guys are amazing. We couldn't do it without you. The new person I have to thank is, I want to thank Philip Brooks. Thank you, Philip, for becoming a donor. Thanks, Philip. Really appreciate your generosity. Thank you very much. And your sticker is in the mail. (laughs) Or is about to be. I'm mailing it today. But um, yes. And then other than that, I don't think I have any actual like announcements. If you have anything. Uh, Speaking of Patreon, we are recording the first installment, I guess, session of our Monster of the Week campaign tomorrow. So that'll be fun. Yeah. And barring any, like, massive audio incidences, um, if my dog's just straight up barking the entire time, I guess. Um, upload it anyway. Yeah, I'm going to upload it anyway. You people will get, like, some good, good dog content. Um, but anyway, that'll be up for Patreon donors, hopefully within the week. Can't make yeah. any promises. But, Yeah. Awesome. Um, and uh, if you're looking for us on Patreon, you can find us under the Cryptid Keeper. Uh, we're also on Twitter at Crypt Keep Pod, C-R-Y-P-T-K-E-E-P-P-O-D. We're on Facebook under the Cryptid Keeper. And we have a Facebook group where you can come hang out with us and about 500-ish other awesome people. Uh, it's the Cryptid Keeper Appreciation Group. Um, so just uh, go on there, request to join, and we'll, we'll get, you, get you on in there. Share some memes and... <laughs> With some cool And teams. there are many of them. There, <laughs> I don't know. There are many of them. That's, yeah, those are our socials. Um, our music is by Andrew Giada. And as always, we hope we can keep you around and stay safe out there. <laughs>